you know, as we continue our study, we're going to look at a few verses that people would tell us uh, confirms that there's a, a hell, there's a heaven. And as we go into the New Testament and see what's written there, we need to understand something. The New Testament can only confirm what the Old Testament teaches. The New Testament does not contradict the Old Testament. We're not told something by the prophets in the Old Testament and something completely different by Jesus himself and the apostles in the New Testament. In fact, if it did contradict the Old Testament, the, the Bible itself would be of no good to us. Jesus' teaching certainly did not contradict the Old Testament. He fulfilled all scriptures concerning himself. And what he taught about death and the fate of man was taught in the Old Testament. So he looked at the Hebrew word sheol, and today we're going to look at a word which is often quoted, and the word is Gehenna, or Gehenna. So Gehenna is translated, again, as the word hell, and it is indeed closely uh, related to sheol. And so we ask, therefore, then, okay, let's look and see what is the fire of Gehenna. Well, between the valley of Hinnom and the Kidron Valley, there is a place called Topheth. And this is a horrible place. This is where in the Old Testament, the children of Israel sacrificed their children to pagan gods. It's here that the angel of the Lord went out and slaughtered 185,000 men of the Assyrian army. If you remember, Sennacherib had came up against Hezekiah with all sorts of threats and asked the, the people, uh, how is their God going to be able to deliver them when other gods couldn't deliver them from the might of Sennacherib? So the Lord sent, uh, went out and slaughtered 185,000 of the Assyrian army. And the bodies of the Assyrian soldiers were gathered and they were burned in this valley, the valley of Topheth. This is a place near Jerusalem. And it's a place where there was much sin. And we can read about it in the Bible. Asa, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah, they expelled the male prostitutes from Jerusalem. And that's in 1 Kings 15, verse 12, 1 Kings 22, verse 46, and 2 Kings 23, verse 7. So if you want to look them up, you can listen to this later. And I'll tell you all the verses I'm quoting. Jeremiah, he gave a prophecy against God's people. And in Jeremiah 7, it says, For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And it was to this area that Judas went when he decided to take his own life after he had betrayed the Lord. So this was the most evil area in Jerusalem. And those of the day when our Lord was alive would have known about this place, have known the history of this place and, and the reputation of this place. And they would have therefore known what people were talking about when they quoted it. The Hinnon Valley was a reminder to God's people or to the children back then and today that God's judgment will come. 
There are some who believe that this valley is a place of eternal punishment called hell. So what we need to do is look at the verses quoting this place and put them in their context to see what they really mean to the original hearers. We need to understand what these verses meant to them. The most popular verses that are used is Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both body, both soul and body in hell. And again, that's translated from the word Gehenna. James 3, verse 6. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire, on fire of hell. And again, the word Gehenna is translated hell. Matthew 18, verse 9. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into Gehenna or hell fire. So what is Gehenna referring to? It's referring to the physical earthly destruction in nine of the 12 instances where it is mentioned in the Bible. It is a warning which is applicable to the people that were being spoken to which were the first century Jewish people. They would have known when these verses, or well, they wouldn't have verses to them, but when this word was used, they would have known what was being told them. Now, the word hell itself is a Norse Germanic word, and it stands for the realm of the dead. It's close to the Germanic equivalent of the word Sheol and Hades. It is a translation error, they tell us, when Sheol or Hades are translated Gehenna. Gehenna is not a realm of the dead. It is a warning, as I've said, of destruction, particularly here on the earth. And you know, it's something we, we, we kind of, I think, can't remember who quoted it recently, but we read the Bible through Western eyes. And the, as I said the other week about the translation of the King James, they were influenced by what they believed, what Traditions had come in to be accepted as biblical truth. And therefore, they changed words as we've seen, Sheol, and they've done the same here uh, with the word Gehenna. Gehenna, as I said, to those back then, when Jesus was talking, was not a realm of the dead. It was a warning of destruction, particularly here on the earth. And when we read about these, we've got to remember Jesus spoke in parables. He used metaphors. He used illustrations that his listeners would have understood. He spoke uh, to describe something, to show them something. He used illustrations, metaphors, similes. He used these things so that people would understand what he was saying. And they would have understood that he was giving a warning of imminent destruction uh, in Jerusalem. And indeed, we've seen that happen in A.D. 70. So as I said, Gehenna is used 12 times in the New Testament. It was specifically, as I repeatedly said, given as a warning to the Jewish people of the first century. This warning is recorded in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, the book of Luke, and the book of James. And it's interesting to note the Gospel of John. <clears throat> he does not mention it anywhere in his epistles or in his gospel. In fact, uh, 
the uh, commentators tell us that John was writing to the Gentile Christians. John's gospel, John's epistles were to the Gentile Christians. And he never warns them of the fire of Gehenna. So why, you know, if this was a literal place where people were going to be tormented for eternity, why would John not tell the Gentile Christians? Because this was a message for the Jewish people. And it was a message which was a warning. Look at all the epistles. And all the epistles were wrote to the Gentile Christians. And they never warned them about the fire of Gehenna. Again, why? Because this was a specific warning to the Jewish people of the day. Who would have totally understood and would have been greatly offended. As we know when Jesus spoke these things. Surely all Christians would have needed to hear about this place of eternal punishment, especially new believers uh, as the gospel spread, as they went throughout all the nations. These new Christians, uh, these people who had just given their lives to the Lord, who were being taught by the apostles, being taught by those whom the apostles appointed, surely they would have told them about this fire uh, of Gehenna. Again, this was a warning to the Jews, and particularly it was a warning to the Jewish Christians, which we'll look at in a moment. It's not the everlasting, tormenting fire that Plato imagined. And if you look up any quote from Plato, Plato about death, he was one of the ones who believed in punishment for those who had done wrong in life and reward for those who had done well. And along with other pagan beliefs, as I've said, this all infiltrated into uh, the Bible into what was accepted as biblical, but it wasn't, it was tradition. Amen. So it's a picture of total destruction. One of the words used for all these doctrines of, of eternal punishment <clears throat> is called annihilationism. And this is a theological doctrine that the wicked will cease to exist after this life uh, and, and, and their punishment. And they say that this was first known to be used in 1847. So again, the, 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 this uh, belief about this being eternal hellfire slowly but surely creeped into the Christian uh, beliefs and traditions and is accepted today. So the fire of Gehenna is reflecting on the judgment that came upon the Jewish people from the book of Jeremiah. We go to Leviticus 20 verse 3. It says, I will set my face against that man, will cut him off from among his people, because he has given of his seed unto Molech to defile my sanctuary and to profane my holy name. This, as we know, is where they were murdering their children. They were sacrificing their children to Molech. If you read about Josiah, this is one of the things that Josiah totally destroyed. If you remember, they were repairing the temple, and they found a book, and they brought it to this young king, and when the young king read the book, he tore his clothes and he called an assembly of all the people and had this book read to them. And what he did then, he went about destroying all these places where child sacrifice and everything was being made. And as I said, this was made uh, in the valley of Hinnom, which again, where they, talk, uh, where they talk about the fires of Gehenna. The children of Israel were sacrificing their children to the pagan gods of Baal and Moloch. And what they did when they threw the children into the fire, they beat the drums. They beat their drums so loud to try and drown out the, the screeches of, 
agony and pain of the children. They would have at times thrown, their, by the way, their enemies also uh, to, to put the fear of God into other enemies that would attack him. And this, is a, uh, this was a horrible place. This is where they did this, burning people alive in this place called Tophet. Back then, all the, the city's rubbish, all the rubbish from the cities, there was no bin men back then. There's no blue bins or brown bins and particular days to leave them out. Amen. The city's rubbish was incinerated in a large furnace and it was burned for 24 hours a day, consuming the, the waste of the rubbish from the entire city. So this place also was where all the people would have brought their rubbish, they would have thrown it into this valley of Tophet and the fire would, would have been burning 24 hours a day. So they would have seen it or described it as a fire which never Goes out. It was a fire which was literally never quenched. As the rubbish built up, it was brushed into the furnace and it was sanitized. Now, like any dump, it would have been filled with a terrible stench, filled with flies, maggots, rats, uh, 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 and it would have been a horrible place. Mark 9:44 speaks where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. In that day, the children of Israel as I've said, were throwing their children into this furnace. And they tell us likely it was most, mostly girls, mostly uh, young baby girls that would have been thrown into these fires because having a son was indeed uh, mostly desired in that culture. And what God did was God rendered judgment. The cries of these children, they tried to drown them out with their drums, but they couldn't because God heard them. Just like when Cain murdered Abel, his blood cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard him. And the cries of these children, the Lord heard and he was bringing judgment on them. He rendered judgment for this wickedness, turned them over to their enemies to be destroyed. When their enemies came, it is said, the bodies of the slain were so numerous that they had to bury them by burning them in the furnace called Tophet, where they had been sacrificing their children. And this is, again, fulfillment from Jeremiah 37, sorry, Jeremiah 7, 31 to 34, where the prophet said that the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and the land shall be desolate. And so when this term Gehenna, when Jesus was talking about this, the Jewish believers were being warned that the judgment of God was upon them because of their wickedness, because of their wickedness. Jesus warned that a prophecy that was made in the book of Daniel was now upon them. Jesus warned that the temple would be destroyed and not a stone would be left upon another. And this prophecy came true exactly as Daniel said it would and exactly as Jesus warned that generation. That's found in Daniel 9, verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the prince shall come, shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we go now to the Jewish historian Josephus, and he recorded that the Roman army completely destroyed Jerusalem. It is said that the Jewish defender, he said that the Jewish defenders made their last stand in the temple where they were literally burned alive by the Roman army. Now, upon completely destroying Jerusalem and the temple, Titus and the Roman army went into the temple, raised their images, uh, including the image of Caesar, and worshipped them. They were desecrating this now sacred temple complex. He said, 
uh, recording this, he said, so Titus retired into the tower of Antonia and resolved to storm the temple the next day early in the morning with his whole army and to encamp round about the holy house. But as for that house, God had certain long ago doomed it to fire, and now that fatal day was come according to the resolution of the ages. Josephus stated that the temple was so completely destroyed that nobody would have even known that it was once there. And this is very interesting to note because like we said when we studied this about the temple, that the temple that they're all fighting over now is not where the temple of the Lord was. In fact, that was a Roman fort. The temple was actually down the hill from that fort. And so again, this would show us that Back, uh, we've seen how it was Constantine's mother who decided the, the place of the temple, and we see how she got it wrong. But again, that's another study. So the temple, people wouldn't have known it was there. Such was the destruction. The Roman army did on it. They literally tore it apart. And what they tore it apart mainly for, we're told, is that when they burned it, they set fire to it when the, 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 the Jewish defenders were still in there as well. And the place just burnt. No one got out. Everything in it was burnt. And the, they say that the gold in it, and a lot of gold was in it, melted. And it went down in between the, the stones, the bricks. And so the Roman army went in, and they literally took it apart brick by brick to find this gold, to find these uh, uh, valuable things that would have been in it. <clears throat> so the wonderful thing about this is also... The Jewish Christian believers, they were warned about this coming destruction. They were warned that when they saw the armies coming, they were to flee. They weren't even to go back and look for a coat because there would be no escape. Luke 20, for these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days for there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. So those who rejected the Messiah would have ignored this warning. And we know they did and they died and were destroyed. The believers, they hated this warning. And it is recorded that not one of them died at the siege of Jerusalem or when Jerusalem was uh, destroyed. They all fled the city, listening and taking heed of the warning. Paul himself warned of this when he was rejected by the Jewish leaders. He said to them in Acts 18 verse 6, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his remnant and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go to the Gentiles. Paul tried to warn them of this upcoming judgment which was coming where they would be destroyed, uh, where their bodies would be flung into this place to fat, where the, 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 what they termed the fires of, or translated as the fires of Gehenna, where their bodies would be uh, disposed of as such. But despite persecution, Paul continually tried to warn them about this. He was warning them that this fire of Gehenna, as people refer to it, was at their doorstep. They needed to repent. Church, the fire of Gehenna is a warning of God's judgment coming upon the people. They would have known this. It is not the gates or the doorway of hell where sinners suffer eternal punishment. It is where some here in our culture, we call a, local, a localism, I think is the only way I can put it. Something that only the locals back then would have understood. 
completely. So when Jesus warned them, they understood. He was telling them that God was going to destroy their city. This great Jerusalem, this fortified, uh, impregnable city was going to be tore apart. The, the temple, would, people would not even know it was still there. And any that remained in the city w- w- would be slaughtered and they would end up uh, in these fires of Tophet. And, you know, for those that see this as a place of eternal punishment, you know, the thing to think about is <clears throat> with this here, fire destroys. Fire destroys. You put anything in a fire, it will destroy it. There will be nothing left. Okay, I know you're saying, well, gold will melt and stuff, but if you put a human body in a fire, it is completely destroyed. No one can burn for eternity in, in pain. It's logical. No one can burn for eternity in pain. Another, uh, actually, I'll describe it better. If you let me find it. Uh, it's Abraham and the, I think it's Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus. Just let me look it up for you. Amen. Thank the Lord for the headings on the top of the page. There we are. Here it is. Luke 16. Uh, you all know the, the, the story here. Jesus is talking. And he talks about this rich man and Lazarus. And the, Lazarus was a beggar. And he died. And when he died, he went up to this place where he was being comforted in the bosom of Abraham. But this rich man who had died, he was being eternally punished. And he uh, begged Abraham just to, you know, give him the slightest bit of water or to go. We all know the, the, the parable which Jesus spoke. Go back and tell my brethren. And Jesus said, well, your brethren wouldn't listen to Moses. They won't listen to me. You know, so this really is not a picture of what heaven and hell is like. Think about it. If we, go to, if we did go to a place called heaven and the sinners went to a place called hell, would we be watching people eternally in agony with gnashing of teeth burning in a fire? I mean, that in itself would tells me that this is a parable. Again, Jesus has given a parable, and I preached on this about several months ago, if, if any of you remember. This is a parable to Judah and Israel, how Judah had rejected the Messiah and how God was going to restore Israel. This is a parable uh, at which the Jews of the day would have known what Jesus was talking about. Again, he used things and words and a parable that they would have understood. And again, so this is why they were against him, particularly those who were of Edomites, the Edomites. I mean, a lot of the majority of people living in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' ministry were actually descendants of Edom, Edomites, and they were referred to as Edomites. And they hated the Jews still uh, who were of natural birth or natural genealogy. And so these people were being told that it was being taken away from them and God was going to restore Israel. So that this in itself isn't a description of heaven. And if you're talking and you tell people that you don't believe we go to heaven or hell, that we enter into death as, as a sleep, and when the Lord comes back, the dead in Christ shall rise, we shall be awakened from our sleep. This is one of the verses they'll quote you. They'll say, well, what about Abraham, the rich man and Lazarus? Well, you can tell them. It's not literal. Jesus is using a parable there. Another one we can go to 
uh, which people use. Uh, I was going to do another study, but to finish this off, we'll just uh, look here. Yes, Luke, 20, Luke 23. That's actually what we're reading at the table this morning, actually. Luke 23, where one of the male factors, right, I'll read it, one of the, uh, Luke 23, 39. One of the male factors which were hanged rallied on Jesus, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man had done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Truly I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. People tell us that when that man died, he went to heaven with Jesus. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus, uh, there, there, the translators or commentators tell us that Jesus is using, I think it was a Phoenician illustration. And the Phoenician kings, if you did some great deed or you did something that impressed them, uh, they would give you an invitation uh, to, to dwell with them and walk with them in their garden. This was a great, great reward. What Jesus is saying here uh, and many commentators all agree with this. It's not immediate uh, translation into, into heaven. Jesus is saying, today the door is open. Today the law has been fulfilled. Today you are now able to enter into the kingdom of God. He didn't say they were going there on their way. That thief, like everyone else, is waiting in his grave until the Lord calls from when he descends, sorry, in the clouds. So you'll get little verses like this which people uh, will give you, which they will try to say uh, confirms there's a heaven, confirms there's a hell. But the best thing to say to them is, one, don't argue because we're not here to argue with anyone, but tell, tell them to read them in the context that they were written, in the culture that they were written. But you know, the most important thing concerning death and uh, what do we like for time? All right, we'll conclude with this. The most important thing concerning death is that you're prepared. You can, you can sit here today and tell me, no, brother, I've listened to you for four weeks. I still think we go to heaven. Well, God bless you. That's okay. You're allowed to disagree with me. But look, if you're not ready, that's the point. Because we will all die. We looked at this as we started this study. And I believe we will enter our grave and we will rest there till the Lord returns. But we need to be ready for it. I showed you this slide last week, and it's so important. Because when you die, there's no repentance in the grave. There's no conversion after the last breath is drawn. We looked at Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Whatever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. For there's no thought in the grave, neither is there any knowledge. There's no repentance in the grave. We have to repent of our sins before the Lord. Just like the thief he recognized that he had done wrong. Unlike his friend, who maybe felt he was being dealt with unfairly, or unlike his friend who tried to challenge Jesus uh, to come down from the cross. He wasn't concerned about Jesus. He wasn't looking for a miracle. He was trying to save his own neck, and he wanted Jesus to bring the three of them down from the cross. But the repentant thief he was ready to meet the Lord. That's what Jesus told him. You're now ready to meet me in my kingdom. Are you ready to meet the Lord 
in his kingdom? That's a very important question because we need to be saved. We need to repent from our sins. We need to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins and we shall receive forgiveness and we shall receive eternal life. The wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It doesn't stop there, folks, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through him. So no matter what your thoughts are on death and what happens to the state of the dead, what happens, the important factor in it is that you need to be ready to meet the Lord. And it's our prayer that you are ready to meet Jesus on that day that you have acknowledged, as the musicians come back, that you have acknowledged that you're a sinner, that you have acknowledged that you need salvation, and that you have acknowledged that Jesus is that Savior, and you've asked him for forgiveness. You receive forgiveness the very moment you ask for it. I always love to quote that hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton, about to die on the boat, thinking he was shipwrecked, and he gave his heart to the Lord, and he, he later wrote that wonderful hymn, Amazing Grace. And he said about the hour I first received. In other words, the minute I repented, I received salvation. And the guarantee that death has no more grip over me. Death is vanquished. Tell it with joy. Amen, is that what the hymn said? It's vanquished because Jesus is coming back to call us from the grave. And what a wonderful day that will be. Let's stand in his presence.